Welcome to the Empire Files podcast. This is your host, Abby Martin. This is the audio of our show. You can watch the episodes on our YouTube channel or at theempirefiles.tv. WikiLeaks. These WikiLeaks emails confirm what those of us here today have known all along. As her own team has said in WikiLeaks, she has terrible instincts. WikiLeaks, some new stuff, some brutal stuff. I mean, I'd read it to you, but the hell with it. Just trust me, it's real bad stuff. WikiLeaks also shows something I've been warning every everybody, everybody about for a long time. Hillary had no defense for her secret speeches to Wall Street that she hid from the public and which were exposed by WikiLeaks. Boy, I love reading those WikiLeaks. WikiLeaks, I love WikiLeaks. For years, the fate of Julian Assange has been left to speculation. What would a Trump presidency mean for his freedom? Is Assange, who is not a U.S. citizen nor committed any crimes in the U.S., justified in spending years in an embassy out of fear of being extradited and charged in the U.S.? Those questions have been answered by a haphazard copy-and-paste error in a court document. Trump's Justice Department mistakenly revealed a sealed federal indictment and charges filed this summer stating no other procedure is likely to keep confidential the fact that Assange has been charged. Attorneys for WikiLeaks have stated they do not believe the charges against Assange are related to the 2016 election, but rather stemming from the campaign to arrest and charge him ever since the historic Iraq war logs put the final nail in the coffin for the U.S. empire in Iraq. While the Obama White House publicly maintained WikiLeaks was a journalistic entity, the Trump administration has redefined the organization a hostile state actor, moving forward with new speed to set an unparalleled precedent of jailing a journalist for standard journalistic work. It's time to call out WikiLeaks for what it really is, a non-state hostile intelligence service often abetted by state actors like Russia. Julian Assange and his kind are not the slightest bit interested in improving civil liberties or enhancing personal freedom. They have pretended America's First Amendment freedoms shield them from justice. They may have believed that, but they are wrong. Assange is a narcissist who has created nothing of value. He relies on the dirty work of others to make himself famous. He's a fraud, a coward hiding behind a screen. And in Kansas, we know something about wizards hiding behind screens. The Washington Post reported the Trump Justice Department has considered several potential cases against Mr. Assange from the collateral murder video to the 2016 election, including tying Mr. Assange to foreign intelligence services. Inside sources also told the New York Times that in 2017, the CIA began formal espionage operations against WikiLeaks. And for those who were still convinced at the fantastical notion that Trump himself would stand up for Assange against the so-called deep state, he has only mocked those hopes. I don't know anything about him, really. I don't know much about him. I really don't. None of this should come as a surprise, given Trump actually called for Assange to be punished before most public officials did. And not just punished, but executed. Uh, claim it'll be on. He's going to talk about WikiLeaks. You had nothing to do with the leaking no, of those I think documents. They think it's disgraceful. You do think it's disgraceful? I think uh, this should be like death penalty or something. Uh, Charging Assange would have a devastating impact on press freedom, one that is without equal in modern U.S. history. 
The so-called crimes Assange would be punished for are no different than what any media outlet does. Publishing leaked, hacked, and classified materials in the public interest, even ones that have been obtained by illegal means. If these secret charges are carried out, it would have an extraordinary chilling effect on journalists everywhere and put them and their sources in the type of danger you would only expect to see in a fascist dictatorship. Assange is not only being targeted by the Trump team, but also by the forces that want to take Trump down. Absurdly blaming Assange for the outcome of the 2016 election, he has become the linchpin to the Russia investigation, which ultimately aims to impeach Trump. Hillary Clinton, who essentially speaks for the Democratic Party establishment, famously called for assassinating Assange with a drone strike. The anti-Trump factions within the FBI and other state agencies have pursued Assange from this angle as well, seeking to connect WikiLeaks to the Trump-Russia collusion story. That could potentially bring new charges for the journalist-turned-political refugee. Amidst indictments and plea deals in the Mueller investigation, the spotlight has recently rested on one man, Randy Credico, named by Roger Stone as the Trump campaign's back channel to WikiLeaks. Credico is a longtime civil rights activist and former director of the hugely impactful Kussler Fund for Racial Justice, and whose progressive campaigns running for office against Chris Cuomo and Chuck Schumer won him the endorsements of Larry David and Cornell West. But since it was announced that he would again have to face questioning by Mueller and his team, Randy has been ducking the press and told me he's been turning down countless requests for primetime media appearances. I invited Randy to sit down for an interview to discuss all the accusations the corporate press has been making and what the truth really is about his relationship with Roger Stone, WikiLeaks, and the Trump campaign. Most people know you, Randy, from this Mueller indictment and the Russia investigation, but you have a huge, rich history of political activism here. And in fact, you were a political comedian uh, decades before this. I mean, talk about why you first got into political comedy, because that could be a career killer for a lot of people. Yes, especially if you criticize Israel. You know, it, it's, if you're critical of Israel, I remember uh, working in 1988, I did this line, the uh, IDF, has bombed another Palestinian refugee camp. I said it was a preemptive strike. Uh, the Palestinians were uh, stockpiling rocks. So <laughs> something like that, it, it's kind of innocuous even, but I got into trouble for that. And I, got, I lost a gig on the Upper West Side. Uh, so, uh, but I was very political back in, in the 80s. Because uh, I did impressions. You understand, I did impressions. I'm doing voices like James Mason, Jack Nicholson, you know, voices like that. Fred McMurray, all these old actors, and Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart, and now I'm doing Reagan, and people like that, and George Bush. And, but, you know, it's not just doing the voice. You have to, like, put it in context. And, and you had Reagan, what he was doing, with, whether it be the air traffic controllers uh, back then, whether it be the homeless, and how do you make that funny? Well, those who are homeless want to be homeless. You see, the vast majority of these people have bad backs. And rather than sleep in a nice soft bed, they prefer a steel grate. So you do and then, and then Nicaragua. Uh, the, uh, the, the whole Contra thing really bothered me a lot. And I went down to Nicaragua in the mid-80s, but I was doing political humor. Remember, in 1984, I did The Tonight Show. I could have either plunged into impressions and kind of soft pedal it, or I could go full speed ahead. And I decided to do the latter. Uh, and Carson wasn't happy with me. 
I was really doing well on that show, but I used it uh, to really shit on the, uh, the, the genocide that was happening in Central America, whether it be uh, counterinsurgency in, in El Salvador and, and what we were doing, uh, Rios Mont in Guatemala. And, I mean, if you're working comedy clubs, let me tell you something, these are not subjects that people give a shit about. So I did a show, a tour with Charlie Clements and Vernon Bellacourt, who was the head of the American Indian Movement, about 1986. It was called uh, Reality versus Rambo. And we went around the country supporting Democrats that were against the war in Nicaragua. I even took comedians down there. In 1988, I, it was called the U.S. Out Show, USO, but U.S. Out Show. And I took five comedians. We toured the country in Nicaragua. I was very passionate about it. And you also made a name for yourself fighting for drug reform I and mean, fighting the Rockefeller uh, drug laws in New York. You spent years in Texas calling attention to mass incarceration in terms of uh, drug laws as well. Talk about why this uh, inspired you so much. 97, I worked on an HBO special with a fellow by the name of Richard Belzer, uh, who's in law and order right now. And he's kind of a political guy. And the thing is, at the end of it, there was a lot of drugs being used. And I burnt out on cocaine, and I ended up saying, I gotta get out of this lifestyle. And I went down to Florida, and I saw a guy who had been convicted and just spent 12 years in prison for a first-time drug offense. And when I got back, I, I, I found the guy and I said, you know what, I'm gonna plunge myself into this. And inspired by the Madres de Plaza de Mayo of Argentina, uh, we organized families of prisoners. We put posters together, went around uh, Rockefeller Center with like 20 people in the beginning. It became one of the biggest movements two or three years later. Everybody started talking about it because the stories were horror stories. There are people, women, who are doing life sentences with kids for being mules, unsuspecting mules. Uh, but they were just grinding out, uh, you know, humanity uh, to, uh, to keep this, this prison system in New York State running. And it was all drug, it was 70,000 prisoners and 30,000 were there for minor drug offenses and 94% were black and Latino. So I really got close. I visited 100, I made at least 100 the first two years going to prisons. And then, and what else, the other thing that inspired me is my father had done 10 years in prison. In, in the, the 30s, before I was born, he was like 18 years old. I heard the, the horror stories. You know, I'm a survivor. He was a survivor of prisons, and being the child of a survivor of, of prisons in America, it's tough on all of them. So uh, I, I organized, got deeply involved in that prison movement, and along the way, along the way, uh, there was this drug sting that took place in Texas. This racist uh, drug sting in a little city called Tulia, city of 5,000 people. Um, half the adult black population was arrested. 46 or 50 of the black, of the black population, uh, you know, it was like so many to selling cocaine to the same person, right? This guy set up his next Klansman um, who was a real bad guy. I went to the trial and started burlesquing the, the, uh, the district attorney, uh, the judge, I was laughing. They didn't know what to make of me down there. <laughs> but I got very close to people. I raised money. I called the Tulia Defense Fund. I raised money. I helped get lawyers. I brought down uh, reporters. We did a documentary. Eventually, they were all exonerated, and uh, people don't know me for that. Right. You know, it's like, I'm not going to go around and say it, but, you know, that's, they don't know that I got that background. That has not been aired out there. You're you only know? useful for one purpose. Yes. Well, it's, it's, look, it's sensationalism on most of these shows. 
So Randy, everything kind of blew up for you last year when Roger Stone um, named you as a back channel for his communication with Julian Assange. Yes. So a lot of people are calling you an associate of Roger Stone's, right? Yes. Um, you say that you're not an associate of his. You have known him, however, for 16 years. So. This seems like kind of an unlikely alliance here, a left-wing comedian with a, a, you know, a GOP operative. Right. So how did this relationship form and when did you meet him and why? I, okay, go back to the Rockefeller drug laws. 2002 was a critical year. There was a governor's race in New York State. Um, Pataki wasn't moving fast enough. Uh, talks had broken down uh, for reform. Uh, I was in d discussions with him. Uh, nothing was happening. The Democratic uh, um, opponent, uh, Carl McCall, he was for reform, but he had no money. And then I saw this guy on television doing ads, this billionaire by the name of Tom Galassano. And I saw these ads that were really uh, quite interesting and uh, they were pi pioneering at, for the time in New York. They were um, about uh, medical marijuana and legalized marijuana. So I went, I, I, I went to uh, one of their campaign uh, events and I said, I need to talk to who is ever running this fucking thing. And that's him over there. And it was this guy, Roger Stone. So I said, oh, Jason, I knew all about this guy, but you know, let me talk to him. I want to get this. I'm tired of walking on the streets of Manhattan doing vigils and visiting prisons. Let's move this forward. So uh, the guy set up a meeting at Roger Stone's apartment above Mickey Mantle's on 59th Street. And Stone uh, immediately made me a martini. He said three things we had in common off the bat. He was into uh, Stolerschneider uh, dry martinis with uh, olives, although I like onions in them. I did. And cigars. And uh, I was raised uh, on Al Jolson, who's a big Al Jolson fan. And so we talked about that and uh, other things. He was a big pothead and other things. And so we had um, this great conversation. He said, yeah, he brought me on board. He brought me on board to do ads. They spent millions of dollars on ads. Uh, Galasano, and he really got involved in it. And I was, I got to make commercials. I'm getting paid, uh, you know, for making ads. I'm coming up with the ideas. I bring in these families of prisoners. That's how I met the son of a bitch, and, uh, Stone. And, and after Galasano lost, Andrew Cuomo and Russell Simmons reached out to me. They know how popular this movement is, and they wanted to start another movement called Countdown to Fairness. So Galassano kicked in some money. Galassano uh, spoke at this big rally of tens of thousands of uh, people that were there. It was such a big, and everybody showed up, all these celebrities, and did Galassano, and did uh, the Reverend Al Sharpton showed up. Now, the Reverend Al Sharpton uh, had a conversation with Roger Stone for a few minutes. Now, he is running for president. This is 2000, we're going to 2004. He's running for president. Um, Al Sharpton. Stone asked me to set up a meeting. So I owed him for this uh, Galassano put money into this big movement. And I said, all right, he's always want something in return. So I set up a lunch date. And the next thing you know, Stone is running the goddamn campaign. Now, running, he, he's running the campaign. Now, Stone can think as a left winger. He can think, he knows what he represents. He can think of the opposite of that, you know, practically in a campaign. So he was telling Sharpton to do certain things. I thought, 
I was going to be running that with him, and we were going to talk about prison conditions, and we're going to talk about drug law reform and all of that. He took it over cynically, and I see where this is going, but it, it was too little too late because, because Sharpton, who had insinuated himself into this entire mainstream Democratic opposition against Bush, you would see him as a, as a surrogate now. And he got a major role, he got a major role at the Democratic Convention. Sharpton was, was there, basically, Stone had him there to scare away people that were on the fence. So why did Sharpton trust Stone? Because obviously he was, you know, a Nixon operative. Well, he did not know what to do, Sharpton. You're gonna run for president. He's not gonna be able to do it on his own. He had to have someone that can uh, get delegates, knows how the system works. I mean, he had worked in a lot of presidential campaigns. He worked on Dole's campaign in 96, uh, and probably old man Bush in 92. He worked on Nixon's campaign. He worked on Reagan's campaign. A lot of dirty tricks. This was a dirty mm -hmm. trick, all right? This is what I, I didn't realize. I was being used by him, set him up with Sharp, and here I'm like, my God, look what I've done. So what was the incentive for Stone to get involved in the drug laws? What was his incentive was he, he was working on Galasano, spent $100 million on the campaign. Uh, Stone is kind of a, Stone in, is a libertarian. I mean, he's a libertarian. It's really difficult to pin down. He's a political operative, right? And if some left winger said to him, look, I need some help, he would know how to do that. Stone right. would actually know how to run against... He doesn't have a moral compass. No, it's just he, where the money he, is. He knows, right? he knows it was worth it. If there was money on the left, he'd be on the left. But there's more money on right. the right, all right? So, and he probably was, look, his godfather uh, was, you know, I guess it was his godfather, or at least his guru was, was Roy Cohn, who's a, who was, uh, you know, a very close friend of Trump. And he was a dirty trickster uh, himself, uh, Roy Cohn, one of these responsible for the Rosenbergs being executed, was a bad guy. He was worked with Joe, Joe McCarthy. The, the drug law thing, and he, and he continued with it in some way, uh, Stone. Uh, because like I said, he's a libertarian when it comes to drugs and it's probably something personal for him. You know, what do you uh, mean? he tells everybody, calls everybody a cokehead, an alcoholic when he's mad, he you know, calls everybody drug. I can tell you, he should not be saying that, all right? He's the last person that should be talking about those who uh, use powder, mm. all right? I mean, when I was around him in 2002, the first time I was, he said, stop doing that. You know, maybe do something that's a little, you know, that lasts longer, that's just as white. And, you know, he's, but he's, he's calling everybody when he gets mad at them, but anybody drops a dime on him, exposes him. Me, I'm a drug addict and alcoholic. I mean, this guy tweeted out that I was dead from an OD in 2011. He actually said that in, 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 on Twitter and on Facebook in a blast email, and it nearly destroyed my, you know, didn't destroy my life, but really made my life very difficult. When did you find out that he was a rat fucker and completely untrustworthy, at that point? At that point, yeah, I did. And, and you know, we, at, yeah, what he did there was uh, really nasty. And now I really knew what happened in 2007, what a rat, son of a bitch this guy uh, is. He's a real vile guy. Somebody had called up Governor Spitzer's father in 2007, called him up. He's 85 years old. He's got like MS or something. At three in the morning, left a message saying, you're a 
rat son of a bitch. Your son is going to jail. The sergeant at arms is going to get him in the Senate. And there's not a fucking thing you can do about it, you piece of And it was, that's like, that's a nice version of what he said. So Stone, it was on an answering machine. But this is 3 o'clock in the morning when he's doing that, when he's all cranked up. The next day when, when it was revealed that this happened, he was working with the state Republican Party Senate re-election campaign. He was their finance chairman. He was their strategist, making 30000 a month for Joe Bruno. And so he got fired. So he finally comes up with this Hail Mary. Randy Credico, the impressionist, he mimicked me. <laughs> he did an impression of me, and he spoofed my number. The number came up. His, his phone so number came up. So this wasn't the first time that he's thrown you on no, the so bus. No, so he said it was me. And he even told me, he says, look, can't you just go along with this? I'm going to lose my $30,000 a month job. I said, no. From 2002 to 2007, there were like years we didn't talk, right? So when they say an associate, it's a guy, it's an acquaintance that every so often I'll run into. This thing uh, with, with Galasano was good. Thing was sharpened. I made a mistake by introducing to him. I had no idea what his evil intentions were. So, you know, I'm a pushover chump. I, you know, I trust people. And uh, at this point, people can't figure out, what the fuck are you doing with this guy? You know, uh, Stone. There's a lot of little things right. in between uh, about Stone. I mean, others, some stories that are interesting stories, but um, uh, for the sake of time here, I don't think you want to get into them. Why is Mueller convinced that you are the back channel He's not convinced. Stone? No, no, he doesn't think that. Mm -hmm. I can tell you, he absolutely does not think that. You know, Stone... Why is that the story? Why the story, the, the latest story is, is is that I was brought in, I think, to prove that Stone, that Stone lied to Congress when he said I was his back channel. He's amended his congressional testimony. In 2000, I think it was that last October, 2017, I went before the House Intel Committee, and uh, you know, he's a big shot. He wanted to be a big shot, wanted to say he had a back channel. Uh, he had said that earlier, and he read a 47-page statement hoping that Trump would hear about, about what a witch hunt all of this stuff is. And then, uh, Mr. Stone, can you, your testimony's been great. Can you tell us uh, who your back channel was? No, I made a deal with a guy that I wouldn't do it. He's a journalist. So uh, two weeks later, he supplements when they threaten to give him a subpoena. They threaten to give him a subpoena. He says, Randy, I'm going to throw you under the bus, you know, and uh, it's you. I said, well, you said you weren't going to name a back channel. I'm not your back channel. I was not your back channel. Let's be blunt here. I mean, let's be honest here. Uh, why would Julian Assange need to go to Roger Stone? I mean, that's not his M.O. If he's going to release something, why would you telegraph it to some fucking political operative and have me, who he doesn't know, get it to him? What would be the point of that? That's the logic. That's the, what's the logic in doing something like that? Why would Julian Assange want to tell me uh, that something's coming. I mean, he already announced something was coming in July and in August. He had all this stuff on Hillary Clinton. He already said it, right? He was out there saying this. Uh, I didn't know what was coming, you know. So, and then there was more testimony there, which I didn't even read until recently. He sent it to me. This is my supplemental testimony, and it was there's nothing in it that's true. They know it. The Mueller people uh, can look at that, and they can. Take a look at the text messages when they came. You know, in 2016, on on September 27th, I went to I went to 
London. I had Julian Assange on my show for the very first time. Yeah, talk about how you met Assange through this story briefly. I knew someone who was a peripheral figure. He's got like 200 lawyers. How did I get connected? Uh, The same way Mishkin from from, uh, the idiot uh, in pale Russian society, high society. Um, It was, it's very bizarre what happened here. Michael Ratner was one of his lawyers in the Center for Constitutional Rights and and many others, okay? But he's not telling people uh, what he's doing. Uh, when he's going to do it and what it is precisely. So now in the summer of 2016, I asked this woman if she could somehow get a message to Assange asking him to do my new Thursday night show I was doing for a while. On August 25th, I get an email from someone that works as a secretary for Assange. We have heard that you'd like to get Mr. Assange on your drive time show. And I had about 20 emails going back and forth I sent them my documentary. I did all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I had no, he didn't know me from Adam. I mm-hmm. didn't know him. So I'm sending him all this material. They've seen this. They know yeah, sure. this is August 25th. This is the first communication I've had, not with him, but somebody else did that show. He did it again six months later, but I spent the next six months every so often trying to get him on the show. So, I, you know, there, I was not getting anything from him at all. And that's the two times. I mean, that's like six months apart right? Six, seven, eight months apart. I went to London. I went to London on September 27, 28 to see a friend of mine, Barry Crimmins. It was a 30 year anniversary uh, that, that month of us performing together in London. And so it was 30 years later, I said, God, I'm going to go see Barry Crimmins. I'm going to do this. And before I left, the general manager of the station, Berthold Reimers said, you're going to London, you're going to see a sign. I said, I'm going to try, you know, Although uh, this woman told me, you're never going to get in to see him. I'm bringing this bohemian guy. Uh, Did you see him? No, no, no. I got to tell you what happens here. So I let them know, the same secretary guy, that I'm coming in to see Barry Crimmins. Would you like to go see him? And I also said I had a letter from the general manager naming me as the ambassador between WBAI and Julian Assange for him to do his own radio show. And now, remember, this whole time, you have, to, um, you have to surmise that he is working on the Podesta files, right? Because he, nobody sees him that whole month. Nobody's seeing him that mm-hmm. whole month. I'm there, like, I want to be a big shot, you know, promote his, produce his radio show, be part of this radio show. So I got this really nice letter, and, uh, and I got the email from them, everything to adduce to this that uh, Mr. Assange um, is, uh, can't see, he says, but drop the letter off or post it, post it, right? Send it by, uh, by mail. And so I was a little crestfallen by that. I never got to see Assange, you know? They said, sorry, we can't see you. We'll look at this. And so you weren't even talking to him during this no, time. No, I never had, spoke to him. You had just spoken through his lawyers. <laughs> so the sec- someday that week, they let out the Podesta mail, you know, Podesta files. So Stone, in between that, just prior to that, on, I got, this is a, a, a fundamental um, uh, part of this. On, on September 9th, he got me Gary Johnson on my radio show. Through Stone, Stone got him on my show on the 9th of September. So he was on the 10th. I said, thank you, it was a pretty good interview. You know, he talked about Assange, uh, this guy, the secretary, they were listening. Uh, because I was trying to get something out of him to support Assange and Snowden. So he didn't say exactly. I know what they, they didn't, they didn't like, 
exactly what Johnson said, but I did ask him about it, about pardons and all this stuff. Um, as I asked Jill Stein about a pardon for, uh, she would definitely give him a pardon if she was president. So you ask everybody. Uh, I, I asked Stone at one point in a text message, why don't you ask the president if he'd give him a, 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 a pardon? Anyway, I said, hey, thanks a lot, Roger, for getting me Johnson. I said, is there anything I can do to reciprocate? He says, get me Julian Assange. So I said, well, you know, I've had him on my show and, uh, you know, I used this uh, friend of mine who's a lawyer and all that. And I said, I'll see what I can do. But of course, I would never. But I wasn't going to give him the stone. Stone is toxic. I didn't even want them to know that I knew him because Stone is a toxic guy. They had our, um, we later find out that Stone kept mentioning them. I've actually communicated with Julian Assange, all right, way back April 4th at some Republican Broward County uh, convention of, of young Republicans for freedom. Uh, so, so they didn't want to, they kept putting out these re, rebuttals saying, do not, we, we have never communicated with Roger Stone. They did not want to be, they did not want to be connected to this uh, trickster. Right. It's not helpful for them. So I did not, I did never, ever, ever convey to them that, uh, you know, uh, Roger would like to have you on the show. In another request by Stone, he tried to get Randy to verify a document supposedly from Libyan intelligence about Hillary Clinton's role in the U.S.-led war for a billionaire named Dr. Paul. Credico firmly denied he ever passed along the request to WikiLeaks, but was aware of the implications receiving it from Stone. And I sent out something that I sent him an, uh, a text message. Don't say now. Don't like trap me as your fucking back channel. All right. You said you had a back channel just because I said I was going to find out if that was true, which I never did. They never found that. They never verified it. Turned out he was hustling for this guy, this Dr. Paul, and trying to get him to give Roger money to find out if this was true on WikiLeaks. I don't know. Something like that. He was doing some kind of peddling, information peddling. So I wanted to read the, this last text message that came out that recently broke between you two. In yeah. uh, one message sent on October 1st, 2016, you texted Roger Stone, big news Wednesday, now pretend you don't know me. He says you died five years ago. You say, great, Hillary's campaign will die this week. Right. Two days later, you followed up by saying, I think it's on for tomorrow. Shortly after, you said, why can't you get Trump to come out and say that he would give Julian Assange asylum? Off the record, Hillary and her people are doing a full court press they keep Assange from making the next dump. That's all I can tell you on this line. Please leave my name out of it. Now, I want to just give you the floor here to say whatever you yeah, want well, to about this thread. About that thread is all me, none him. Okay, that's an edited thread. I happen to know there are about 15 text messages going back and forth. Everybody who's read those and the news, they know those are edited text messages. They know, I can tell you for a fact, that the Mueller people know how many text messages were sent that day. So they're gonna say, well, look, you got five text messages, no rebuttal from Stone, nothing else from Stone. When did I send those? When did I send, well, I'm, obviously I'm at the airport and, I'm, I'm, and I was totally hammered. And we were playing around there and I can tell you this, he has deleted the, that's a one-sided conversation. Where is the other side? Well, give us the context. The context is, I'm speculating. Here it is, October 1st, 
A month earlier, he's on with, um, with uh, Megyn Kelly, saying that he has big shit coming out in October. He's with, um, with uh, somebody else, and I can't think, maybe RT was on RT saying he had all this stuff on Hillary's coming out in October, the October surprise. So um, I'm going to have to answer this. Right. I'm going to have to actually answer this, but it looks like he was pressing me. And there's something that somebody that's, that people don't know. He was calling me up, screaming at me, uh, "What? Why? Why hasn't Assange put this stuff out?" And it was just bullshit banter there. There's no way for you to figure out the other side of the texts. I mean, I, because I, can you see how out of context people would say that that does that show you working with no, Roger? No, because where's all the other text messages? That, that I told him that he's got a big surprise coming in October and it's about to put, there's no, WikiLeaks knew it was bullshit. They put out a statement on this. Credico was playing Stone the same way Stone was playing Bannon. Because Stone was using this kind of stuff to ingratiate himself with the Trump campaign as if he had a back channel. Where was everything else? Right, and how the fuck would I know Unless you believe that Julian Assange told Randy Credico, who he doesn't know, uh, to let Roger Stone know so he could tell Steve Bannon and somehow coordinate something with the president. Why would he do that? If he had it, he would just do it at his choosing, at a time of his choosing. I mean, there's no logic. Well, like you said, Roger changed his story to comply with basically what WikiLeaks has been saying this whole time, that he has been trolling the press, right? Roger Stone's been trolling the press. But then we go back to the tweet that you were just talking about, where Roger Stone says John Podesta's time in the barrel right. is coming. Right. How do you reconcile those? Things? Well, wait a second. His time in the barrel is coming because... How did he know that it would be about that, Podesta? Well, that, I, well, first of all, when did that come? That, would, that came in, in August, way back in August, that it was Podesta. There's a guy by the name of, of uh, one of these conspiracy guys, uh, that had been going back and forth with Roger. They have all of the emails between the two. This guy by the name of uh, Jerome, Jerome Corsi, right, who sent me an email. He sent me an email, guess when? I found it. I found it. They know, the Mueller people know, that he contacted me. Since the taping of this interview, former InfoWars bureau chief Jerome Corsi has in fact entered into plea deal negotiations with the Mueller investigation. Corsi himself said he expected to be indicted, as the special counsel believes he is the one who could have tipped off the Trump campaign that the Podesta emails would be coming out. Randy says he can prove that Roger Stone told him he had a secret back channel, vindicating him as the source. But he told me on September 9th, when he got me Gary Johnson, he, and I, he, I said, what can you, I said, I thought you had a back channel you can get Assange. Why do you need uh, me to do it? Why don't you ask your back channel? And he says, well, you know, he's, um, I, I can't use him for everything. You know, I got to use him discreetly. So I said to him, if you have a back channel, so I'm looking back at this Podesta thing, this Podesta deal, and I said, well, somebody told him, and it definitely was Corsi, because that's why Corsi is, uh, you know, an indictment is imminent, because he said he never had any uh, this and that uh, conversations about, mm -hmm. about uh, the Podestas. He, he says he guessed. That, that the Podesta files were coming. He says that he guessed. They just have to do loose ends or put loose ends together. If, if Stone did know, and, was, and is it illegal to know? But he definitely needed someone that he could use as a fall guy, and I was being set up for that. Now, it could have been just pure rank braggadocio with Bannon to, um, 
to somehow ingratiate himself with the Trump campaign, which had dumped him two years earlier. They got rid of this guy a year earlier. They said, get rid of this guy. So who's leaking all the text messages to the press, Stone? Yeah, oh, Stone's doing it because right now. It just seems the, like he's trying to make you he's, implicated yes, here. Yes, he's been saying that he's trying to, he's got nine different versions. Uh, I am not a target. I am a, um, you know, just, I'm not a target of this thing. So if you take a look at June when he says, I gave him information, all through the summer, I was giving them updates. Well, where are they? And that's what all the journalists want to know. Where are the updates? Uh, where are the text messages and the emails that was suggested I was giving them information right. from June all the way through uh, September? Right. The actual information is yeah. missing. There's no text messages. There's no emails. There are other emails there where he's trying to get me to get this Dr. Paul information confirmed, which I never tried to. Well, uh, but there's nothing about me saying that Assange has got something. I, ne I never did. I never told him anything because I didn't know anything. I had no fucking idea. Amidst this back and forth, Randy, Stone threatened you and your dog, Bianca. I mean, I know how much this dog means to yes. you. In fact, I'm surprised that, that he's not here this right is, now. I, but what was your response? He threatened me. They have all of the text messages over the last year. I can tell you that. So. There's a lot of things happening there. Stone does not want me to testify. Stone is, takes me out to dinner to try to get me to take the... There's a lot of things I can't tell you that he said to me. He threatens uh, to, um, let's, uh, let's get it on. Who's going to be around next year, you or me? Uh, people aren't going to believe you, you fucking bum. Uh, and prepare to die. This kind of stuff. Right. And I'm going to steal that fucking dog ears and there's nothing you can do about it. It's not that I think he's going to steal a dog. What I think is, is that people who think that Stone is going to get indicted and then he's going to roll on the president and they say, well, this guy and they see the dog thing. They may come over and steal the fucking dog. One of these lunatics on the alt right. Those are the ones I'm afraid. The ones that go and shoot people in Pittsburgh or, 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 or send out pipe bombs or whatever. There are a lot of lunatics out there, people that go to the Trump rallies, all right, uh, that uh, think that if Stone gets indicted, he's going to roll in the president, which I think he would because the guy couldn't spend 30 seconds in, 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 in a jumpsuit, all right? So he would, if whatever he has, and he probably has a lot on the president. He's known him for 35 years. Uh, so, he, you know, look, I've been told you have to be careful and uh, call up 9-11 and then call up uh, the FBI if uh, somebody is threatening you. Uh, but Stone made a lot of threats. Stone tried to get me to do a lot of things, uh, a lot of things with my testimony. And so he got, got he sent out just, he was pissed off and I went on. I, I just had to get this, I had to stop it. People were thinking that I helped Trump out and I was a back channel. I was giving information to Stone. Nothing, not one fucking thing. He got three of his friends to come out and say that I told them that I was Stone's back channel. One of them, this guy, David Lugo, this guy, like, like laid out like days of how I was telling him about Stone, uh, you know, uh, getting uh, uh, information from me and I was a back channel. All this stuff. And guess what? It turned out that Stone wrote the fucking article for him. What a shock. Stone wrote the article for the kid. And when Stone found out that the guy copped to it and he testified in front of Mueller, this kid, because they know right. that there was an orchestrated effort to try to... Um, 
uh, debase me, demean me, uh, smear me, calumny me, whatever the word is, as smear me. And this was all part of it. They know it. All right. This, they're trying to intimidate me. You ought to see the stuff that I get. No, and Roger Stone is, is responding to this all over the news, saying you're the one who, who's threatening witnesses. He's saying that, you know, if you look at the text messages, it's just kind of banter between old friends, right? Look. That's what he's saying about you. He and I were just old, uh, old grumpy guys. Yeah. Just hanging out, threatening to kill each other's dogs. Well, you know, he's a, he's, he's a bad guy. He's a dirty trickster. Uh, he will uh, throw his mother under the bus. Uh, he would throw his wife under the bus. He would do anything to protect himself. I would tell him to get into some kind of 12-step program. I would try to dig deep into my soul if I was him because it may be too late for redemption for him because he's got, there's so much in there and I don't know what created it. So once again, the chump here, I'm the, I'm the guy being set up. I'm a spectator to Julian Assange's work. I'm a spectator. I'm looking back. I'm at a movie theater watching a movie, and he's trying to make it look like I wrote the fucking movie. I'm watching it with him. He's going to continue to shit on me for the rest of my fucking life. Right. That's what's going to happen right now. I can't, after all of these years doing civil rights work, uh, doing political work, uh, my activism from Nicaragua uh, all the way uh, to the Rockefeller drug laws and beyond, you know, the, that in 2015, I had a movement and within a year it worked and that was to get the state in the city of New York uh, comptrollers to divest from private prison companies. They both did. And I got the credit for it. The guy called me up. I spent a year working on that and they both divested. So that's what I want to be remembered for. I don't want to be remembered. All these liberals think out there that I had something to do with Stone, but I was a spectator with him. For argument's sake, let's just assume that whatever they're saying is true. I don't understand how that proves or establishes any sort of coordination with WikiLeaks. It's right. two independent actors just speaking to each other. Right. There's, there's nothing. Look, whatever he... Which is bizarre that this is what the entire thing hinges on. Um, a lot of it does right now. Uh, whatever Stone's um, uh, engagement was, uh, whether it was all puffery, uh, it was all salesmanship. It was, you know, because he's want to do that. Right. I don't know. How does that prove election meddling is my question. I, Having I, foreknowledge. I don't. Having foreknowledge, I don't know. And being a back channel, I don't know. But listen, there's a lot, there's a mob mentality out there. All right. And people are pissed off because you got an insane guy uh, that's president. And, you know, everyone's looking at this saying, how the fuck did this happen? Where are we going to go from here? So you and I are both fervent supporters of Assange and his right to be free, of course. Uh, but we also agree on the inability to work with fascists right. in order to, you know, basically yes. advocate for his freedom. Why is a campaign built on an alliance with fascists built on quicksand? Well, uh, I'm certainly not part of that. Uh, there are some good people that are in that uh, movement, uh, but you can't bring in alt-right fascists who pretend to like Julian Assange because they certainly don't. And it doesn't help. In my opinion, uh, there are a lot of racists, not just fat, racists, uh, real bad people. Uh, guy Jack Posobiec, I think his name is, uh, who's like close friends with some anti-Semite killer. Uh, there are other people uh, that are involved uh, with this kind of, and I don't know if it's disintegrating or what, but it, it's turned off a lot of people. Did You cannot make up an alliance with fascists like that, because they are not for the First Amendment. They're against fascists. 
do not like the First Amendment. Right. All right, if you're a fascist, you're all right. You don't want truth getting out. So they're pretending to like Julian Assange somehow so they can take it over if and when he's free. I don't know what the motivation is, but there's something unholy about it. And I'm not giving, those are my enemies. They're not my friends. It's, it's, it's a very dangerous, a very dangerous uh, uh, thing that's happening. It's happening. There are enough smart people like yourself who've been involved with this, all right, who don't want to break bread with these people who are a threat themselves to the free press. They don't want a free press. You, they, you attack, you attack uh, Trump and they get pissed off. They're pissed off at the, at the press for attacking Trump. Yeah, and let's talk about how uh, it's changed under the Trump administration, because many in Trump's camp, even Fox News right now, are sympathizing to Julian Assange and supporting him. But it seems to me like things have gotten worse for Assange under Trump. I yes, mean, talk they about have. this. <laughs> they totally have under Trump. Trump would throw Julian Assange under, like everybody else, he'll throw him under the bus. Uh, everybody around, uh, he's got the most reactionary, uh, neoconservative uh, outfit. It looks like the looks like the uh, cast from Doctor Strangelove around him. From <laughs> you've seen the people around him. These are neocons looking for fucking war. They don't like Assange. Pompeo is like the head of the State Department. He called Julian Assange uh, some kind of foreign, um, hostile foreign uh, enemy force or whatever. Can't think right yeah, now. Yeah, the rhetoric has become a lot yes. more assertive. And now we see these charges filed, these secret charges filed, Randy. Yes. I mean, here Assange was mocked relentlessly from mainstream pundits for not wanting to leave the embassy. Well, now we know that the threat of indictment was very real, Randy. We have these charges filed. I mean, talk about that. Yes, well, you have these charges against him that, you know, so accidentally came out. The UK government and the US government, they want to stop him. They want to stop him so badly. The situation is grave. They do want to. They do want to muzzle him, um, and we'll see what happens. As the president would say, "We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens when he. When he go, we'll see what happens." You you know, see I'm WikiLeaks. I love WikiLeaks. Right. He said that, and now look, this this guy he has no moral principles. Were you surprised at the charges? Uh, you know, actually I was, because I kind of thought, as long as he's in there, it's great. As long as he's in that embassy, not talking, not exposing Vault 7 and other, uh, you know, mechanisms that the government has uh, spying on people and uh, whatever they do. Um, as long as he's not able to do that, and by putting that out there, the fear of, uh, mm -hmm. you know, him being sent over here and going to Colorado in one of these maximum security prisons, supermaxes, and uh, having a kangaroo court in Virginia. That's what's going to happen to him. Whether it was real or not, it was always out there. But this looks like it's concrete. We have concrete evidence that all this time they've been preparing uh, charges against him. People have been bogged down in this whole argument that WikiLeaks is some sort of state, you know, actor that's that's an asset to Russian intelligence. And I think it's giving no space or opportunity to have discussions like we're having right now, which is, you know, is there some room to actually criticize uh, what seems to be actually a deliberate effort on behalf of Julian Assange to kind of buddy up to the alt-right, to legitimize some of these alt-right figures? You know, you just have to support him on the principle. If you don't like some of the characters he's legitimized, uh, the point is, he's a journalist. He, he, nobody's perfect. You know, I'm, like, the, like I said, the rest of my life, I will be, in spite of my fucking career as a civil rights activist, 
uh, I'm going to be identified with stone somehow. Look, I get attacked now. Right. I get attacked now because I have I've had enough of these alt right people trying to exploit this. Right. Because uh, they're being dishonest, disingenuous. They don't give a fuck about Assange. Uh, if Assange had, uh, if they knew that when he gets uh, back into business and he were to put out a whole bunch of stuff on Trump uh, and torture. Uh, that continues and uh, complicity with uh, mm -hmm. with this guy Ben Salman. Uh, if he were to do that, they'd they wouldn't they'd disown him. When asked about his upcoming interview with the special counsel, he had this to say about Stone. And I'm not going to jail for him, and uh, we'll see what happens. I just have look. You go in, you tell the truth. Right. I'm I'm already in. I'm tell I got to go and tell the truth, and I'm not going to lie just to save his ass. With Randy eager to clear his name, the case extends well beyond him. And whatever the findings are, for WikiLeaks to be punished would have far-reaching implications. No matter what your opinions are about Assange, Trump, or Russiagate, it doesn't change the fact that WikiLeaks, although unconventional, does what watchdog media has always done. With society barreling towards fascism, world war, and climate catastrophe, Silencing those who expose it is a scary thing. And with stakes so high, the fate of one can decide the fate of us all. Thank you for listening to our Empire Files podcast. Help keep us independent and ad-free at patreon.com slash empirefiles. And be sure to catch our newest episodes by subscribing to our YouTube channel.